Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Did you do your homework, Adam? Oh, no. It's Oh, no. This is that moment all over again. I've sat down in my uncomfortable plastic desk. Yeah. The teacher has come in. The bell has rung. Everyone's taking out their folders. You had an entire week to prepare. Oh, no. And all that's going through my head is how I can fake my way through this (laughs) so I can sound like a smart and knowledgeable person. I think the way to do that, Ben, is to ask you if you did yours and uh, and to see uh, what your findings were. My answer is that I did not do my homework in a formal way. I did not write anything down. Maybe you should tell uh, the viewers at home and and your uh, and the student sitting next to you just what exactly the homework assignment was. I asked the question in that way because you kind of reacted badly to my suggesting that we <laughs> think ahead about something for our show. I react badly to most suggestions of any kind. <laughs> it's sort of a, a terrible thing about me. I think... I, I think people would be surprised to know how true that is. <laughs> it feels better to have it confirmed. <laughs> we talked at the end of the last episode, having we're, we are now on the precipice of completing the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets, for a second mm. time. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the first one, we went back and kind of we, we tweaked for our second playthrough, but we were talking at the end of the last episode about the idea of, of making further tweaks. Mm. You know, this doesn't have to be a formal, a formal homework situation. You weren't, you weren't asked to like type it up on single space paper with one inch margins, Adam. Oh, I can give an oral presentation. This is an oral presentation situation. That's where I succeed. Yeah. It's the thing I'm best at. You love oral. <laughs> I don't have to know anything about anything. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, a, a friend of DeSoto actually gave us some notes uh, on Twitter this morning. I don't know if you saw this, but... Uh, I think I muted this person after the third. <laughs> uh, I think there's like a, there's a couple of exciting ideas here. Uh, a couple, a couple that I reject out of hand. Like some weird ones, like one where we have to find a previa and record the next episode inside of it. <laughs> Not really sure what that would add to an episode, but uh, nothing at all. It just just work on our behalf, and then like worse sound. Rejected. Get that stuff out of here. <laughs> There's one. Uh, his eyes uncovered, where we would have to pre-write ten uh, Tamarian metaphors to describe. Uh, things things that we might discuss during the episode. Ah. Which I kind of like the idea of it's. It's a bit like uh, what we chose to do with our nth degree episode recently, which you know I think the the fact that we decided to use that as a comedy opportunity really did not work for people that don't listen to this show for comedy. <laughs> I don't know who those people are. I know <laughs> we don't have anything to offer other than that. And we barely have that. Right. What are some of the others? Roll uh, them down. Let's see. Geeking out, 
must find an actor who appeared in the episode and convince them to guest co-host the show. Nope. No good! We don't have guests. We don't have guests. I would I would have on like a main cast character for an interview the way we did with LeVar Burton. Sure. The issue is, I, I don't know if we would be able to make something like that happen in time to record an episode in order to get it out in time. So... Uh, I think that I think we have to reject that just from like a functionality standpoint. Yeah, I think that breaks the show. Yeah, tape it to the fridge. We each have to draw a picture that reflects this week's episode. Must put the picture up on the internet, and the friends of Desoto can vote on who has the better arts and craft skills. I love that idea. If it weren't just a picture, if it were pure arts and crafts, like. I love the idea of going to my mailbox and having <laughs> opened a package where Ben has sent me a paper plate with a bunch of macaroni <laughs> glued to it. Yeah, uh, a shoebox with a diorama of a scene in, inside of it. Yeah, I would say that's a candidate. I like that. I, I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Okay. Canar with Damar. We must each attempt to replicate Canar, the Cardassian alcoholic beverage. Each must drink the other's creation through the episode. So it's a bit of a let's drink aboutification of the greatest generation. I like where that. It's inflicting a cocktail on the other person. As long as it's it's not like a punishment cocktail, like that fucking hot dog cocktail. <laughs> I think uh, I think I could commit to being a to not punishing you. Like your best effort. Yeah. 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 I kind of feel like um, well, I don't know if we've ever actually hit a traveler or a banger square. Uh, I feel like they maybe are taking up too many spaces right now. So maybe we hmm. replace one of those with a canar with Damar. I think that could work. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple others that are like review an episode of Voyager or, or Enterprise, which I don't think... We're not in the business of burning episodes that we might need in the future. Get that out of here! Agreed. And I think that qualifies as breaking the show. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do anything that gets us out of our lane. Well, what do you think about adding a... A canar with Demar and the uh, and a, uh, his eyes uncovered square to this to this board game. Maybe one more Coco No No. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Let's okay. do it. Okay, so we'll add another Coco No No in place of one of the existing corks bars. We've got the the one where we have to do Tamarian metaphors, the one where we have to make art and send it to each other, and the one where we have to invent. Canar cocktails for each other. We should call the square where uh, where we're making arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. We should call that the Jay Gordon Square. <laughs> that guy's probably great at arts and crafts. Yeah, we got to get a uh, Felipe and uh, and Craig on the uh, on the tweak. So uh, hopefully by the time the the next episode airs, uh, when people go to gach.biz/game, we will have those tweaks done. And if I had any expectations at all of the speed with which we do things, yeah, I can just about guarantee that that'll happen. All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, getting to the battle bridge, do you want to get into the episode? Oh, we got to do that, Ben. It's a kind of Deep Space Nine episode. It is Deep Space <laughs> Nine Season 4, Episode 9. Our man, Bashir. <laughs> realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. A episode that strains 
credulity when you consider uh, Garrick's quality as a tailor and his <laughs> preference for the shawl collar tuxedo, Ben. Yeah. You, got, you rock a shawl collar, don't you? I think shawl collar is the most traditional single-breasted tuxedo collar. Yeah. Like a notch collar. I have a... I have a shawl collar white tuxedo jacket and a notch collar black tuxedo jacket. The notch collar on a tuxedo, I think if I if I was in the market for a tuxedo today, I would not buy a notch collar tuxedo. Interesting. I think I think it makes it look a bit like a black business suit. I also probably would not buy a black tuxedo today. I would go midnight blue. Whoa. Wow, I'm getting all kinds of tips from you today. I was in a department store not long ago, and I had a, a, a velvet tuxedo jacket in my hand. Wow. It would have been fun, but I just don't have an occasion for things like that. I have it because I want to have occasions. I want to be invited to black tie things or show up to things that should be black tie in That's black tie. That's what I love about you. You are an aspirational tuxedo. I want to like, live it up. That's a great way to be. Yeah, I was listening. Uh, do you ever listen to the John Gabris podcast, High and Mighty? Always, every week. Uh, I love that show. And he had a guy on recently. I mean, like, I think like every three weeks, he has somebody on to talk about Las Vegas and maybe about as often somebody on to talk about <laughs> Long Island. But uh, <laughs> the Vegas episodes are my favorite. Do you just skip those? Do you get no, no. I, okay. It, it's like watching a documentary about like sport fishing or something. Yeah. It's like, I'm not interested in sport fishing, but. A good documentary about any subject will be compelling just to like see people that are like really into it or whatever. Great point. And one of the recent Vegas episodes, somebody made the suggestion that like one, like if you go to Vegas, you're there for three nights or whatever. One of the nights you should just like dress up to the nines and go fucking crazy. And yeah. I really love that idea. It's a good idea. It's just that, Are you like, proposing the... that for Star Trek Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. Fucking A. The fuck of it is, Ben, it's, just, it's in August. Yeah. That, uh... I wore a tuxedo to a beach wedding in Costa Rica this year, so I know that feel. It's going to be a wet tuxedo before too long. Yeah. Anyways, this episode begins <laughs> with some, uh, some uh, defenestration. Man goes through a window, and uh, Bashir... Uh, is the is the man who has thrown that person through the window? He's uh, going to celebrate the defenestration with a babe in a red dress. They're going to drink a little champagne, but uh, this this guy gets up, and uh, Bashir is only able to knock him back down by firing a champagne cork at his forehead. Here's the here's a little tip to the people listening. Very good luck if you get hit by a champagne cork to go have a glass of champagne with who hit you with it. Really? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That like if you're at like a if you're at like a New Year's Eve party and somebody pops a bottle and you you catch the cork, luck obliges you to go uh, to go share a glass with that person. Hmm. Uh, this guy does not get that opportunity because it knocks yeah. him out cold. Very unrealistic. <laughs> They're going to have to go get that drink once he comes to. There must be like a lead weight in that cork if uh, if it knocked him out. I mean, there's going to be a lot of James Bond comparisons in this in this episode. But like, is it one of those things where a guy throws his shoe and the shoe ends up having a bunch of razor blades in it? Like, is it, <laughs> is it loaded up? Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those uh, one of those bowler hats that's deadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is Bashir 
getting his jollies off. And uh, when you're getting your jollies off, you don't want to be interrupted. You don't want somebody to let themselves into the room, you know? Get out. But, Doctor, I've only just arrived. This is your private time. You don't want any creeping. Yeah, and it uh, it is uh, Garrick who is looking at Bashir during here. And Bashir takes great umbrage with this. He takes legal and privacy-angled umbrage with it, which I think is great. Yeah. Breaking into a hollow suite during someone's program is not only rude, it's illegal. It gives us a little bit more of the legalese involved in these circumstances that I think we've wanted for a while. I wonder if this is like a Bajoran rule that it's illegal or if it's like a, if, if everywhere it's illegal. Right. Because it doesn't seem to be illegal on the Enterprise, right? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's like an international waters thing, like where suddenly if the station were in a part of the quadrant that that weren't zoned a certain way, I wonder if it would be more permissive for Garrick to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, anyways, the conversation between them kind of winds up boring this uh, this red dress lady. It's a weird period, right? Because this is probably right around when Pierce Brosnan became James Bond, and James Bond films like started to feel kind of self parodic in a yeah. way. Yeah. Um, like I don't know if I would have picked up on the satire like during the like when this episode aired originally. But it really does kind of dunk pretty heavily on some of the tropes of James Bond. It made me think a lot about my own video game playing. Like, when I saw this, I was like, who would want their gameplay to be this cheesy? And then I think about what I like to do in Jazz Horse, and a lot (laughs) of that game is super cheesy, too. Yeah, a lot of tying maidens to the tracks. and Yeah, so I get it. Yeah. And, And like Bashir, I wouldn't like anyone to watch me play that either which is why I do it in public on my Twitch stream <laughs> at twitch yeah. slash cut for time. I do the same thing when I'm browsing various porn websites. <laughs> Does Bashir live in Chris Brenner's apartment? You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. Yeah, I was wondering if this was a reused playset. I also got kind of um, like move along home vibes from the set that it opens in, the like mm. purpley rooms. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. if, I, I mean, I don't know why they would reuse anything from Move Along Home. Yeah. Probably just burn everything after they finish shooting it. There was nothing to learn from that experience. <laughs> there is no spiky bird to introduce to, later on. To reuse as a prop. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we get the sense that Garrick is going gonna, is gonna to join along for a while and that this is a, a program that Bashir has recently gotten his hands on and is really just kind of throwing all of his free time into. Kind of the way Jazz Horse felt in October, you know? Yeah. So we meet Mona Loves It. Come again. Mona Loves It. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just not getting it. Mona Loves It. Never mind. The super busty personal valet of Julian Bashir, international spy. And he spends a lot of time bond-splaining what's going on to Garrick, <laughs> which I felt was kind of a bad use of time in this episode. I understand why Garrick would need a Cliff's Notes of the Cold War and playing at being James Bond, but we, the audience, for sure do not, and they really, they really run it down, you know? Right. 
I wish I got a little bit more about why Bashir loves this so much. I mean, the inference here from the presence of Mona loves it is that Bashir is using this program to fuck a lot. Right, right. And I wish he said anything that disabused us of that idea, you know? Or leaned into it, right? Right. Like, like, Derek, I don't want you here because I, like, get naked and do the nasty in this, you know? It's like, this. there's not a lot of depictions of masturbation in popular media that don't make it seem like something that a pathetic loser does, Uh you know? Like, masturbation as shorthand for pathetic loser is, like, a very well-known trope in films and television. Sure. But, like... Basically, everybody masturbates. Very few people don't at all. And, like, you you don't need to defend having private time to take care of yourself in real life, right? No, exactly. And I think Garrick should know that that the longer that Bashir is off the street, the better for everyone else on the station. Yeah, like, this would have been, like, an interesting opportunity for Star Trek to kind of stake out a more enlightened place. Like, uh, Garrick, I actually, uh, I crank off in here and I don't want you to join me. Think of the viewership of this show that would feel so seen in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Finally, something that's about me. (laughs) This is my Star Trek right here. (laughs) Anyways, this is all happening with a, uh, concurrently with a Winnebago full of tired officers coming back from a conference. And uh, boy, could I identify with the idea of being tired and coming back from a faraway conference, Adam. I've got a ship full of tired officers here. I think we'll all be happy to be in our own beds tonight. Yeah, which one of these guys gets the middle seat is my question. I don't know. Are all seats on a runabout good? Yeah, they they all have like captain's chairs on the yeah. runabout. That's what and you want. Captain's chairs in the like minivan sense, not in the... Not in the uh, Star Trek yeah. sense. Yeah. I know that there's bunks in the back of the runabout. Never see the runabout's back in Deep Space Nine. No. There's that one TNG up where uh, Picard grew super long fingernails. Yeah. Touching that fruit basket, but that was it. <laughs> Maybe they burned that set, too. They were like, that was gross. <laughs> Let's never go back there again. Yeah, you never see the fingernail prosthetic from that episode making the rounds in the museum tour. Never goes up on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> Screen-used fingernails. <laughs> Screen-used fingernails and rotten fruit bowl set. <laughs> Opening bid, $3. <laughs> no reserve. Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So, they're on their way back from a conference. Everybody's wiped out. Um, and uh, the ship has been uh, has had wooden shoes thrown into the works. Hence the word sabotage. <laughs> and the warp core starts to uh, have a runaway cascade failure of some kind. It's Eddington's chance, Ben. Yeah, it's his Eddington. Chance. Eddington has been left with his hand on the on the uh, on the levers of power, while the entire senior staff of the station went. To, uh, to some conference, which we don't even need to say it out loud. That is bad math in this universe. Uh, but uh, but Eddington... Uh, Why thinks- not give us an entire episode before this episode that's just Eddington house-sitting Deep Space Nine? <laughs> the data's day of, of yeah. Eddington being in charge of the station? Yeah. Um, Would have been nice. Missed opportunity. Um, yeah. 
But he thinks very quickly. Uh, he and Odo are kind of like scrambling around in ops, trying to figure out what to do. They get uh, everybody beamed off of the Orinoco, but uh, the Orinoco goes boom. Very unfortunately, this is one of the starship explosions where the people don't materialize on the transporter pad an, an instant after we see the ship explode in space. We get a puff of smoke instead. It's not a wet red smoke either. No, which is good, you know. Yeah. Wet red smoke would be worst case scenario. But yeah, they, they've got to act fast because the transporter pattern buffer is not a long-term storage medium. And, uh, and they're going to lose the patterns if they don't find a place to put them. Yeah, they basically Scotty Dyson sphere everyone's pattern. Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great call. It's... But they need to act fast because each person contains a finite amount of data, and there's only so much room in the station's computer. So they need to get with the deleting and fast. Yeah, they basically reset the station to factory settings in order to have enough space to do this, and uh, and they and they shunt everything that's in the pattern buffer into the station's computer. The patterns are gone. Did the computer save them in time? I think so, but I'm not sure where. The idea that, the, that they don't know if they save the data and having more data than they have space for is a real computer that John uses to record friendly fire situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. It, and it's interesting to see Eddington like just sweating bullets still like when... You know, that that seems like it should, that that fix seems like it should give us some space to breathe, and it really doesn't. And for as much of a rat fuck as Eddington has been up until now, like, when he's given command, he is not relishing this moment. No, he takes it really seriously, and uh, and I think how in over his head he feels is something that I could really sympathize with, you know? Eddington has not been made sympathetic in this way that many times, and... I thought this was an interesting way of doing it. Because it doesn't make you like him. It just makes you like right. feel his pain, you know? There's a pace to the question and answer portion of this episode that really accelerates this moment. Because right at about the time that Eddington is like, okay, where's their pattern? We go back into Bashir's Jack Shack. <laughs> and the Navisator is there in an evening gown. Well, this wasn't my idea. She is doing a much better fake accent than uh, than the lady in that first scene. Colonel Anastasia Komonanov, KGP. Ops communicates with Bashir and overhears, like, Eddington can hear Kira's voice in a very right. fun moment. That's right. like, who is that? <laughs> who are you talking to? It's at this point that Bashir is cautioned. He must keep the program going because the thing that the computer did is that they... They shunted all of the data from the surviving crew people into all these different areas of the station. And one of the primary places for storage is the hollow suite. Yeah. So people from real life are going to be playing characters in this hollow suite program. And there's some rules that are established here. Like they cannot end the program or like call for the door or anything. They have to right. keep playing the game as it was designed. Uh, but also... The uh, the safeties are off, so death is on the line. And Ben, I was just thinking, <laughs> what if the rules were that, uh, like, when Kira shows up, it's actually Kira; it's not her face on a character, and like uh -huh. all of the crew people 
start showing up as themselves, but it becomes totally clear after an amount of time that this is a jack-off program for Bashir, and he has to jack it in front of everyone. <laughs> like, all of these computer characters are, like, disrobing and throwing themselves at Bashir, and he can't stop them. <laughs> like, their their head, they have control over their head, but their bodies are doing the program. Oh, I mean, it could be even more innocent than that. Like, they're there as incidental characters, but these computer characters are trying to fuck Bashir, and they've got to watch. <laughs> they're just stuck in the room with him? <laughs> yeah, it's so... Like, there are three rules, Bashir. You can't end the program, you can't call for the door, and you can't kick anyone out of your room. You cannot stop coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a punch-up, that's a punch-it. So the plot of the of the game is that the Russian Secret Service has discovered that a bunch of artificial earthquakes have been happening all over the world and they want to work with MI6 and specifically Bashir on uh, on figuring out how to stop it. They realize that a a certain geologist has gone missing. Professor Honeybear. And um, there's like a black envelope with a with a headshot of said geologist, and it's uh, and it's Dax. Yeah, there's a pace to these revelations that is quickening, right? Yeah. You got your Dax as your doctor. You've got O'Brien as the eye patchman. It's Falcon. You've got Cisco as as the heavy, the end boss. Doctor Noah. Another interesting way to direction to take this premise was would have been for Garrick to kind of see an opportunity in this. Mm. Like how so? Ga- nothing is stopping Garrick from just going computer and program. You know, like there's a moment where he threatens to do that at and Bashir uses fairly serious means to stop him. But, you know, Garrett could, uh, could like, take over the station right now, I feel like. Yeah, if there was ever a time, this like, is it. And computer and program would not be the way to do that, but there's leverage here that he could be exploiting, and he's the kind of character who's shown some willingness to exploit leverage in the past. He expresses an angle to this situation that I think is really interesting, which is... The idea of breaking a couple of eggs to make this omelet. He's like, look. Real spies have to make hard choices. You want to save Dax? Fine. But you may not have the luxury of saving everyone. Yeah. He's like, uh, what's it going to take for me to convince you to kill, say, O'Brien? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that's something that Kira even goes for. Like, he has to, he has to wrench the gun out of her hand after they get into a fairly low-key fist fight with a bunch of goons and and uh and i patched o'brien there's some cross-cutting between the conflicts happening in the program and the effort to fix the problem on the station and one funny revelation is that the hollow suites have been jury-rigged by rom using yeah. like tangled pasta amount of wires i loved this i loved the, like we've seen what a clean starfleet spec yeah. Uh, open open panel looks like and we've seen what they look like on this show and you know giving the props department the brief of like do that but rom did it 
they kind of do this a lot in this series where they open up a panel and reveal wiring and it's up to you as a viewer to understand if it's good or fucked up. Yeah, it's it's cool that there's kind of a visual language there and like the second you see this stuff, you know that it is done in a non-regulation way. Right. And so what they come up with, like, and there's like a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Eventually with Odo, Eddington, Quark, and Rom. Really your A team, right? Right. It's kind of a disaster effect where it's yeah. it's the config of people at the at the helm that are really non-ideal for solving this problem. And and what they've come up with is that the bodies of the five members of the Orinoco crew are in the hollow suite and that their minds are everywhere else in the station. Yeah. So they need to figure out a way to get them back into the transporter when the transporter is repaired uh, that will re-merge them. And the high-stakes international super spy game that Bashir is playing will have to be run until that point, and he will have to do everything in his power to keep keep characters from dying and keep himself and Garrick from being killed uh, while, the, uh, while the safeties are off. It also reminded me of the A Fistful of Datas episode in TNG, where you get presented with characters you like yeah. acting outside of their character yeah. the way Data does. And Michael Dorn was in both of those episodes. Yeah. You know? He gets a fun character to play here as Monsieur Ducon. Duchon. 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 Ankylosaur. <laughs> he does not attempt a French accent. No. Unfortunate. So the, the the thing is, he's kind of like the go-between for Dr. Noah, who we'll meet in a bit, but they have to uh, convince him that Bashir should be introduced to Dr. Noah, and he introduces himself to Mr. Duchamp as a, a preeminent geologist and, and somebody that Dr. Noah should want to know. <laughs> so it's like an insult to him that he wasn't invited to this party, and Worf says that the price uh, to to get into this party uninvited will be 5 million francs. And Bashir pulls out like a, a single banknote and <laughs> and Worf says, where's the rest? And he says, I'm about to gamble you for it. That is preposterous. <laughs> I mean, he's he's just a grinder. You don't gamble. You grind it out. I guess so. But here's what's preposterous about it. I was just in, uh, I was just in Senegal. This has been established. It's a country that uh, has a very strong haggling culture. So mm. if you uh, go up to a you know somebody that is selling something, like, like if you're if you're going to take a taxi, you know the price that they're going to quote you from you know the moment you propose to hire their taxi is going to be vastly higher than what they will actually accept ultimately. Which is not like I'm I'm very allergic to this as a strongly conflict averse only child like the idea of paying somebody less than they have asked me to pay for something is something right. i have a very hard time with but uh it is the it is how most things get done there it seems and it's why uh, your picture still hangs at the car dealership <laughs> yep they love me there <laughs> um but uh, one of uh, one of my colleagues calling. one of my colleagues that i was there with was telling me a story where she was in a market and Somebody came up to her with a bunch of uh, like necklaces or trinkets or something and was 
really pushing hard on her trying trying to sell her on buying one of these things and quoted her a price and then said now you tell me your price and and we'll find a way to meet in the middle and she was like i know how haggling works i don't want this i would haggle with you if i wanted it but <laughs> that's like the premise of haggling is not you convincing me to buy it because i remain unconvinced and that's I think the problem with this, I'm going to gamble you for the $5 million I need to pay you scene. Because Duchamp doesn't want him to go to the party, like doesn't yeah. want to make the introduction. So right. why play the game? Right. But that's that's part of the Jack Shack program. Yeah. And Bashir, you know, like it's an elliptical edit. Like we go check in with the with the the Ferengis that are trying to fix the situation on the outside and come back and Bashir is like, is like counting his five million francs, <laughs> and uh, and Worf is like, uh, you're really great at baccarat, which is a preposterous statement because baccarat is a one hundred percent luck based game. It's one of the things that intrigues me about it. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go play some in Star Trek Las Vegas. I don't play gambles, Adam. Remember, <laughs> I'll earn us enough to to meet Mister Duchamp. Do you think that the waitresses will bring you a hoof if you uh, play at a high stakes enough table? Oh, hell yeah. I bet they don't see too many hoofs in the high stakes area of a casino. <laughs> well, the, these two tuxedoed men that just walked in are going to change everything about that. Yeah. <laughs> and why are their tuxedos wet? <laughs> Adam, did this take place in that part of the 90s where cigars became super popular all of a sudden? Mm. Everybody yeah. smokes a, a stogie in this episode. Yeah, it's true. It kind of looks like it belongs with Worf slash Duchamp. Like, he looks good smoking a cigar. Yeah. As an affectation. What Worf slash Duchamp is smoking is a blunt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> with which he uses to knock out Bashir. As yeah. He's done, that, he's done that move that you see in like in like movies about the uh, about the 80s where you stick the cigarette into the cocaine yeah. before you before you light it right he did that with an with a cigar yeah <laughs> and he he blows it all over them and uh, and they wake up in the mountaintop lair of dr hippocrates noah the mountaintop lair being a ski chalet on mount everest at twenty five thousand feet ben yeah which i guess means it has its own oxygen yeah, the house must be pressurized. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. The psych in the background has a tape seam on it, Ben. That's the level that, that we're working with here. Yeah, it's kind of kind of rickety. I was on Twitter just this morning making an argument for a CBS All Access exclusive HD remaster of DS9. It is episodes like this that make the case against that. Yeah, it truly does. I, I don't think you'd ever want to see an HD transfer of this one. Yeah. But everything has that, that 60s sensibility, though. So, like, it's sort of in keeping with with what it's trying to present. Yeah, that's that's true. Um like I don't think that Bond films looked this crappy, but definitely like TV attempts at at yeah. that vibe looked crappy in the '60s. And I don't know. I wonder about that tape seam though. Like, 
It yeah. just it is like calling attention to itself in a way that almost seems like satire, but feels like a mistake. One thing that is most definitely Bond film bad is Dr. Noah's plan. He's yeah. got evil bad guy plans, and uh, one of which is a laser-based earthquake triggering system. Yeah, he's, uh, he's s- secretly hidden lasers in Star Trek caves all over the world. They're going to drill down into the core and release a an amount of magma that will <laughs> shrink the size of the earth and cause sea levels to rise so that Mount Everest is the only land that's left above the waves and uh, and he's going to rebuild a super society on that on that island uh, with all the like smartest scientists that he's gathered around him diabolical visionary you know waterworld came out in 95 just as this episode did yeah this is sort of the waterworld plan yeah except for I, I didn't get the sense that waterworld was done on purpose if Dr. Noah just wanted to drink his own urine, he could do that from the privacy of his Mount Everest ski chalet lair. Yeah, just go into his chalet's hollow suite, lock the door behind him. Yeah, turn and, himself uh, into a dirty, dirty piss boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a political philosophy that we hear espoused today by uh, that purple guy in those dumb Marvel movies. Yeah? Yeah. What is that guy named? Theranos? Yeah. No, that's the blood company. I thought they named their blood company after the uh, the bad guy in the Avengers movies. Oh, to maybe, be cool. that's, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But yeah, they uh, he, he does the thing where he ties the, our hero up uh, at the base of the lasers in the Star Trek caves. And uh, it's revealed that, that Dax, the, in the character of the brilliant geologist that uh, Hippocrates Noah has abducted to work on this is actually on board with this evil evil plan and uh and she's like there in the cave making final adjustments as uh as garrick and bashir still in their tuxedos struggle against their bonds bashir kind of she's all that's her and like i was like initially really grossed out by this but then i realized that it's sending up that part of James Bond that he, like that he's so just like sexually magnetic that he's able to trick an evil woman into doing something for him which is a very like James Bond like gross 60s idea it also like like she her character is a sociopath right like she's there like doing work while two people who are about to get engulfed in magma are just chained up I'd give you both some privacy if I could and she's like like that character is fine with that but also open to the idea of like taking down her hair and taking off her glasses to look more sexy for one of them. It's instructive about Bashir's character in that way, but also in the video game way, because I don't know if you're like this, but I like to play video games at the hardest level that I can while still keeping it fun. Right. Like sometimes you don't turn it all the way up because it's just no fun. It's so hard. Yeah. It's weird that Bashir chooses easy mode for his video game and i think that's a bad look yeah but i mean of all the bad looks that bashir has had this might be the least bad (laughs) yeah a lot of volumes in that series about bashir right yeah but anyways she's so overcome by his sexual magnetism that uh that she palms him the uh the key to his handcuffs well, while laying one on him. And uh, it's really funny. Like the, 
the way she like takes her hand out of her lab coat and like reaches down while she's kissing him really looks like she's rubbing on his dick, you know? Yeah. But it, in fact, she's uh, she's palming palming the key to him. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's palming the key. All right. <laughs> uh, and then we get a, like a like a chase scene through the Star Trek caves where you know boulders are falling from the ceiling ceiling and the lasers going off. Doesn't seem like this laser is linked to all the other lasers, right? No, they don't appear to be firing simultaneously. Um, and this is where where the argument takes place, right? There comes a time when the odds are against you, and the only reasonable course of action is to quit! Everything is going to be in jeopardy if you don't kill a couple of these characters or, like, turn the thing off. Like, Garrick is not willing to to risk his own life for, for saving these other people and uh, and is on the precipice of uh, of calling for the door or ending the program, a move that will potentially end their lives when Bashir uses his little mini, uh, you know, spy gun to shoot Garrick in the neck. It reminded me a lot of when Worf tried to kill Kor a couple episodes ago. Yeah. In the last episode. Same cave. There was just one aspect to Garrick's argument here that was missing, which was the dying in a dumb way argument. (laughs) Like throughout the episode, he kind of smirks his way through what a weird interest Bashir has in this whole thing. Right. And he's making the case here that like, look, they need to cut their losses, save the two lives that they can save and get back to the station. But he never mentions how bad he would feel to die in such a dumb way. Like, tied to a laser beam or drowned in lava yeah because he is a serious military spy hero person like it's almost like what bashir wants to become in this program is what garrick actually is right and that's i mean that they hang a lantern on that right like the the garrick gets accused of being of taking exception to the way bashir plays this game because it is something he has a professional interest in yeah. I think that's really interesting the idea of like, you know, not wanting the reason of your death to be embarrassing at your your funeral or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get that Michael Hutchins situation if you can help it. You want to be remembered for the great work you did, not the weird sexual way that you died. I I always think of the uh of David Carradine for that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. he went out that way too. Great yeah. body of work, but what do you remember? It's too bad. A guy I know uh, died of what was told. Everybody was told was a heart attack a couple of years ago, and he was like very young, and it just seemed like so crazy. And I recently heard a rumor that I don't know if I should believe or not, but that it was a a drug overdose actually. Mm-hmm. And it is very hard for me not to think about that while we're having this conversation because the reaction I had to it was like if it was a drug overdose, it's such a disservice to everyone who knew him to cover that up yeah because a drug overdose is basically the like potential end of a disease and like a disease that's like has a social aspect to it and like the secrecy around it is part of why it's potentially lethal and like i can really understand a family not necessarily wanting uh, you, know, you know, imagining that there will be some kind of shame associated with that information becoming public. But I'll, I also think that, like, it's like one of those things that 
perpetuates like the social taboos surrounding addiction that make it so dangerous. It feels a little like organ donation. Like I think there's a chance to do good there that you miss by keeping it to yourself. Right. I think that like even if they don't necessarily say it out loud, it does feel like it's in Andrew Robinson's performance here. Like I really yeah. liked the way he did this episode. It, you know, despite my complaint that like Garrick might have had a more sinister approach to a dilemma like this and like tried to exploit it for something. Like I think that the the character of Garrick in this is really good and on point in how strongly he disagrees with the way Bashir is conducting the game. I think there's a difficulty setting to the game that we're never made to believe is any harder than easy. Yeah. That that takes me out of it because if we knew that it was on easy mode the whole time, we would be on Bashir's side hard. But because the aspect of its difficulty is ambiguous, there are times in this episode when I'm on Garrick's side. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how easy of a time Bashir will have short-circuiting Noah's plan and ending the game like that. No one could know that except Bashir. And that Bashir never says at any point what his plan will be. I, I don't know. Well, he's just embarrassing. He's just embarrassed that when he first installed the game disc, you know, and it asked him to pick what mode he was going to play on, he picked easy, you know? You don't. Yeah. Like, that's something that I could totally understand being a little bit embarrassed about. Yeah. Hard mode is jacking it in front of Noah at the end in order to win. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to raise the sea level uh, with his own cum. <laughs> morn, morn, morn. Dear sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. They make it back to the single room of the pressurized Himalaya lair. Himalaya? Himalaya. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, they've got to like kill two more minutes to give Rom enough time to to like turn the screw that's going to rematerialize the crew. They they've like wired the station into the Defiant because the Defiant has a working transporter pad still and they're going to they're going to shunt all of the information in the hollow suite and all of the information in the Deep Space 9 main computer into the pattern buffers on the Defiant. They've like they've totally jury-rigged this thing. Bashir's got to to kill some time though. So the way he decides to do that is by agreeing hard with the evil villain monologue that uh, Hippocrates Noah is doing about the important work of killing everybody on Earth in order to create a super society. You're absolutely right. About what? Everything. So much so that he goes over to the computer panel and hits the button. And Hippocrates Noah explodes like a fembot. In the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> I thought this was so fun. Like, the idea of a villain, like, doing something this evil on this scale and then being, like, a little disappointed when it actually happens. Yeah. Oh, like, it was more just for the game of having you come stop me, really. I was hoping that they cut over to the psych and you could see, like, a Price is Right 
quality <laughs> effect of like a piece of blue velvet rising yeah. to cover up the mountains in the background. Yeah, like uh, it would have been fun to have like uh, like hearing like some kind of structural pops and squeaks yeah. as the as the house that is normally used to being in very low pressure yeah. suddenly surrounded by normal pressure. You know, a normal amount of air pressure. So the plan works in both worlds. Yeah. Data transfer complete. I am reestablishing computer control over the station. They're able to beam the crew away, and uh, Bashir and Garrick can leave, but things aren't great with them. Because Bashir shot Garrick not long ago. I mean, he kind of respect Nux Bashir for standing in his truth in that way. Yeah, the game's over, but they remain friends. Yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna get back into the swing of being of being buddies that actually meet up for lunch and stuff. Yeah, which is a, a a habit they seem to have gotten out of lately. So that's good. That's nice. Did you like the episode, Adam? I'm trying to be better at watching and enjoying and appreciating these episodes. It made me think a lot about like. Cause I have Does a hard Deep Space time. Nine want you to make you want to be a better man, Adam? I have a hard time with with mixing my silly in with my sci-fi. Have you seen Star Trek before? <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's a difference between a self-aware version of silly that you get in a Our Man Bashir or Little Green Men and, right. and a type of silly that is retroactively silly which is what you'd get if you watch original series star trek in the right mood you know yeah it doesn't age very well but i'm coming around to the idea of not just reflexively disliking episodes like these i think there is room for them i think it is odd like in the way that we talk about sequencing series like that this is so in such close proximity to to the little green men episode it's sort of I'm getting the bends a little bit in season four because there's there's more of this than I was expecting. Right. Uh, it yeah. makes me wonder if we're going to go really dark soon. As a trilogy, Little Green Men, The Sword of Kalos, and Our Man Bashir are really light, low-stakes episodes. Yeah. Uh, that It's interesting that they all happen back-to-back. Yeah, it makes me wonder what's coming for sure. But I did like it. I did like it because I'm I'm working on myself, Ben working on myself and doing the work that it takes to enjoy an episode like this. What That's about you? That's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked it. All right. I want to see if we have any Priority One messages. I do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Mirror Universe Matt. It is uh, for me. It is for Mirror Universe Ben and Adam. Oh, oh, hold on. Let me go get my mustachioed counterpart. The message goes like this: Thanks for the web. I like how best. your Mirror Universe counterpart doesn't have a doesn't have a goatee, but he strokes his chin as though he does. Right. Yeah. I mean, Thoughtful. it's a different universe, but you just genetically aren't that different, right? Thanks for the web's best Lord of the Rings podcast. From your <laughs> Shalab impression to your Boromir has IBS bits, you always crack me up. 
excited for Hobbit once you finish Return of the King. <laughs> From this friend of Tom Bombadil, thanks for all you do. Give me five stars <laughs> on my Zoom. Just hope this ion storm doesn't stop this message from getting to you. Did I uh, did I pronounce all of those names correctly, Ben? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think you did pretty good. All right. I went. I wasn't sure that what that first thing was. Voice of what? Your Shalab impression. Shalab impression. Like Tony Shalab from uh, <laughs> from Monk. Yeah. Um, I think we definitely would have a Lord of the Rings podcast if we if we lived in the mirror universe. It's nice. Nice uh, bit of reassurance that we don't necessarily live in the mirror universe. There's enough but- content there. <laughs> uh, Adam, our second priority one message here is from Juliet Jones, aka a bunch of Nicks, and is for the warm honeyed bosom, but especially Joe. Hmm. Obliter- obligatory Binturong. What a year 2018 was. January pod intro and binge to August Obsidian Order Force Ad. Thank you for the friendship and love. You are my family now. Frankly, y'all saved my gluteus maximus. Joe, thank you for Denver and GGK. I love you. See you soon. Meter melon forever. Pork chop sandwiches. Love always. Juliet. Wow. Very sweet. What greatest gen has combined let no one ever tear apart yeah pretty cool yeah we could go away now and there would just be a bunch of awesome friends out there yeah think about it all the time be a cool legacy yeah that legacy cemented ben it's done we did it as long as we don't fuck it up by saying something dumb Well, if you'd like to uh, put dumb words in our mouths, <laughs> you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, uh, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks, And that was not a challenge to make us say something problematic. We do occasionally ask people to edit their P1s. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, we didn't talk a lot about Anastasia... Kamananov, as played by <laughs> Nana Visitor in this ep. But there's one moment that I thought was just the best. So she's like slinking on the round bed of uh, Dr. Bashir's. And as she's talking to him, she reaches behind her head and pulls out a folder from under the bed yeah. without looking at it. Like she, she does this physical bit of acting that is so subtle and fast and then, and then makes with the folder and gives it to Bashir afterwards. That is amazing. <laughs> I, like, I laughed and laughed when I watched this. I watched it a couple of times. I wondered how many times they had to do it because like, she's reaching blind into an area behind her to grab this folder. She never flinches for a second. She grabs it on the first grab and then makes with it like, like it's the most natural thing in the world. I just love that moment. Very fun. What about you? I drink Shimoda is uh is the guy who is able to be knocked out by a piece of cork after having been flung through a glass window. Uh-huh. <laughs> I yeah. love the idea that he was like 99.95 of the way toward being KO'd. <laughs> and it's just the, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. A little like 1 ounce of aerated wood <laughs> did it. 
knocked him over with a feather. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
Well, uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode is Season 4, Episode 10, Homefront, Part 1. Evidence that changelings are targeting Earth sends Sisko back to his home planet, where he and Odo must prevent or prepare for war with the Dominion. There's the pivot. There is the pivot that we speculated may be coming mere moments ago. It's three lights and a heavy. Yeah. A couple of heavies, probably. So, uh, return to Earth. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I wonder, wonder, wonder where on Earth. Probably Paris. They go to Cisco's Creole restaurant. They're like, something tastes funky at this... uh, (laughs) I've, about I've, never seen a crawfish, I've never seen a crawfish etouffee gold before. <laughs> what, what, what? <laughs> it's just all food based. <laughs> yeah, you just see somebody with, in a. You just see somebody in a security uniform taking the A out of the window and putting a C yeah. in. Ah, <laughs> uh, we can only hope, man. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see if we're gonna watch this in a particular way. Uh, at this moment, we're on square. 97 of the Game of Buttholes Will of the Prophets Gach.biz slash game Uh, Just one ahead is a Space Butthole that drops us down Into an nth degree episode And tantalizingly close Three squares ahead Is the Power Hour episode, Ben So what do we do if we roll through the end? Do we have to land on that, Unknown. I don't know over... how this thing is coded, so it could right. be. It could Let's be. Let's see that, what happens. It could be that it forces us to power hour. I don't know. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Anything could happen. I'm rolling to find out. Yeah. Uh, and I rolled a three exactly. Three exactly puts us on the power hour. Is this not a very serious episode? This is uh, this is going to be intense. A a return to beer for a man who has really not drank much beer in the last few months. Well, we will endeavor to give this episode the serious talk that it perhaps deserves, but the sort of talk that comes from two drunk people, and that's you and me, Ben. The the sick shit about this is one of us is also going to have to do a power hour. Uh, around uh, a bet we made about some characters on Star Trek Discovery. A bet that I am looking great as far as my chances of winning are concerned. The people listening probably know which way that bet goes before before we do, because uh, we're recording this before Shit. the final episode of Star Trek Discovery comes out. All right. Fuck. <laughs> well, that'll be the next episode. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Big. Yeah. All right, uh, we've got some uh, some housekeeping though. We got to thank all of the people that make this show possible, especially the friends of DeSoto who have gone to maximumfun.org/donate and chosen to support the month the production of this show on a monthly basis with their hard-earned ducats. Thank that, you. That monthly support really helps. So does the support we get from Priority One messages. Yeah. Uh, and so does the support we get from people who leave a nice rating or review for our show on uh, their podcatcher. Uh, you, uh, if you recommend the show to a friend or family member or colleague or whatever, all of that is hugely, hugely appreciated. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, we also should thank Dark Materia, who made the Picard song and let us use it as our theme music, and Adam Ragusia, who has taken the inspiration of that and run with it for all of the other original music you hear on the program. Adam Ragusia, now a wildly popular video food blogger on YouTube. You should go check out his work. It's really yeah, great. Please, uh, please check his stuff out. What can we? Get, is there like an easy link that we can? I mean, if you search YouTube and Adam Ragusia, I mean he's he's gonna come right up. Yeah. One hundred and two thousand subscribers. Wow. To his feed, he has just rocketed up the charts. That's amazing. He yeah. he deserves it. Uh, he really does. He makes great video. His steak video has been my preferred uh, steak recipe since uh, since I watched it. Like. Well, I, I think he put that up more than a year ago, but uh, yeah. he sound, like I, I think he just kind of caught fire because somebody posted one of his videos to Reddit and people really liked it. And yeah, so uh, so check that out. Uh, we should uh, thank Bill Tilly, who makes uh, really hilarious trading cards about every episode of this show. Puts them up on Twitter using the hashtag #GreatestGen. And JJ Lendl, who's been making really cool uh, portfolio print style movie posters of every episode of Deep Space Nine as we review them and putting them up the Sunday before we drop our episode about it. A treat and a joy every week. Yeah, indeed. Is that it? I think that does it, Adam. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Greatest Generation. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which... We'll be barely holding it together. <laughs> if past power hours have been any indication... I think there's a strong chance that it will not hold it together. Interesting that we, we evoke the name John Gabris on this episode, and then we're doing a, a power hour up our yeah. very next one. That's what happens, right? Case, case could be made that we just stole that idea from him. <laughs> right. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported